The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, no slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this and they ridiculed him. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were in effect until John came. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is proclaimed. And everyone tries to enter it by force. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to be dropped. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gates lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. Now in Hades, where the rich man was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Now, many of you know at this point that uh, I went to seminary in Chicago and moved out here from Chicago. And 
One of the great gifts and one of the reasons that I decided to go to the seminary in Chicago was the opportunity to study in, in an urban setting with everything that's going on in a city like Chicago. And one of these such opportunities that came um, was in my very first year of seminary, I took a class called Global Church Here and Now. And in the class, we were studying Christian churches from around the world, different denominations, everything from various uh, Orthodox churches like the Coptic Orthodox Church out of Egypt to uh, churches out of Africa, more of a charismatic bent. And in addition to just studying these in the abstract, we actually got to visit churches because there were numerous immigrant churches across Chicago. And so we'd study the churches and then we'd go and we'd actually worship in these different communities. And so it was a beautiful opportunity to see the church in its diverse, beautiful, universal sense as it was expressed through all of these different cultures as well as church traditions. And one such trip that I made was to a um, church that was made up primarily of immigrants from different countries in Africa. And it was a church of a very charismatic, evangelical type of bent. And one of the things that I remember most, most clearly from that trip and from that class as a whole was the offering time at that service. Because when the offering time came, there was no passing of the plates with gentle piano or organ music. The band struck up in a variety of African-based percussion instruments, and everyone stood up, and they started singing and dancing down the aisles, and it, it was this beautiful display of joyful giving, dancing and singing, bringing their offering forward down the aisle. But the other thing that I really remember from that experience is I don't have the melody, so I'm going to just make it up. But it was something to the effect of offering time, blessing time, offering time, blessing time. And that connection between offering and blessing stuck with me because it raised a lot of questions for me. From a theological perspective, what is the relationship between offering and blessing? What is the relationship between wealth and blessing? Is, is wealth a way that God blesses us? Or is it a sign of God's blessing? And I, I didn't actually have the opportunity to talk to people from the congregation and get their understanding. But I lift up this story because those questions about offering and blessing are really the point of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees that we, in the story that we heard today. As I noted in the introduction, Jesus just concluded the parable of the dishonest manager, which we heard last week by saying, you cannot worship God and wealth. And then we heard the Pharisees' response, which was to ridicule him. And the text tells us that the Pharisees were lovers of money, but Jesus' parable is more 
than a simple condemnation of greed. Though I, I certainly think that it has that in it. But it is a rejection of the theology that the Pharisees used to justify their attitudes. And Butch, if you have my slides there, I want to just give you a simple layout of the theology and what they really believed. And so this is from the book of, of Joshua. And so I'll note that the Pharisees and their beliefs are coming from a biblical place. And so in a very real way, the conflict is a conversation about biblical interpretation and the law. But this is the book of Joshua that really is an example of where the Pharisees are coming from. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The basic theological formula here is if you obey then God will bless you, and part of that blessing will be material wealth. And there are numerous examples of that, both in explicitly teaching and then examples of characters throughout the Old Testament. So they're coming from this biblical place. But the move that they then made was to flip that around and to look at material wealth, people who had wealth, and assume that they did so because of God's blessing, and to assume that they were being blessed because they were being obedient. So wealth equated to approval of action and conduct. And even more deviously and problematic, I think, was when they flipped that on the head and concluded that if you were poor, it was because God was punishing you. For some sort of disobedience, and as a result, you could even come to the conclusion that, well, we shouldn't help people that are in poverty because we're actually getting in the way of God's punishment and judgment. So this is the theology that undergirds the wealth of the Pharisees. This is how they justified their position and their action. And so the parable, as I said, is not just a condemnation of greed. The parable rejects this idea that material prosperity is a sign of God's approval and poverty a sign of God's punishment. Because if you look at that parable, it's clearly reversed. As the rich man in the parable ends up being punished and the poor man who they assumed was being punished by God ends up beside Abraham in the position of blessing. So the parable inverts and rejects this idea that the Pharisees are operating from. And for lovers of money, to use the language of the text, like the Pharisees, Jesus' teaching on money and wealth is really problematic. He says things like, I told you last week in Luke's gospel especially, he talks a lot about money. And so I frankly won't be tired when the next time I preach I don't have to talk about money again. But Jesus says again and again things in Luke's gospel like, next slide here, Butch. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. 
If you're in the position of the Pharisees, of being wealthy, you can see how that's a little uncomfortable and problematic. And the next slide, Jesus tells them what they should do. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So we can see how these teachings that Jesus offers, and there are many others throughout the gospel that express a similar sentiment, are a little uncomfortable and rejected by the Pharisees and others like them. And I would ask you this morning, honestly, how seriously do we take him on this point? I mean, really, who would complain? Who, who would call up Pastor Chris and say, ah, that Pastor Eric guy. I can't believe he said, don't worry, Jesus didn't really mean that we take that money stuff seriously. I mean, aren't we looking for an alternative interpretation? Something that will make us feel a little better about our own wealth? And that's what the Pharisees had. And today, there are numerous Christian preachers that offer the same sort of teaching and are followed by millions of people in churches much larger than this one. And they make a lot of money in the process. Because bluntly, we would rather be told that wealth is a sign of God's approval and God wants you to have more of it than that we should give it away. Jesus, however, seems more concerned with protecting us from the dangers of wealth than helping us to accumulate more of it. Earlier in Luke, Jesus teaches, next slide here, Butch, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Instead, seek God's kingdom, and these will be given to you as well. And 1 Timothy, as we heard earlier, shares a similar sentiment. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. And offers the warning, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And it seems to me that Jesus' parable graphically illustrates this point. But again, Jesus' concern here is protecting us. It's our well-being. Because Jesus knows that there is always more to be acquired if that is where we set our hearts. A little humorously, the parable in describing the rich man tells us that the rich man is dressed in fine linen. That's a reference to underwear. There will always be fancier underwear if that's what you're looking for. There will always be something to be upgraded, more to be had. And so if we seek happiness there, we will never 
be satisfied. And in the process, the Lazaruses of the world will be left to suffer. So Jesus offers generous giving as his prescription for the love of money, a disease that can affect poor and rich alike. First Timothy offers this direction to those who have money. Which, if you would, not that one. <laughs> My bad, I'm sure. Uh, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. The life that really is life. Jesus' concern here is abundant life for us. And Jesus and 1 Timothy offer giving and generosity as part of the way to that life. Because giving can keep us in relationship with the Lazaruses of the world making us more compassionate and building relationships as we talked about last week. It can shield us from that insatiable need for more and more and more, helping us to hold on to wealth more lightly, moderating our consumerism and endless need to consume And nurturing instead contentment and gratitude for what we do have. And giving can encourage faith, teaching us to trust God. And thus relieving us of the stress and anxiety of trusting wealth. So perhaps offering time is blessing time. But these are the blessings that God offers. Now, I'm not going to be upset when the next time I step into the pulpit, Jesus is not talking about money. But I hope in delving into these texts the last couple weeks, if there's anything that you walk away from, It's the understanding that when Jesus starts talking about money, about giving and generosity, the point isn't to burden us. The point is not to lay this huge sacrifice upon our shoulder. Jesus' desire for us is spiritual health and well-being. It's freedom from the stress and anxiety that is often associated with wealth and money. And it's healthy relationship with the community around us, with our neighbors. Jesus, when he's talking about wealth, is just one more time trying to help us expressing his concern and desire 
for us to have abundant life. For you to have abundant life. The life that really is